0: Amen. Thank you, Rick. At this time, our young friends are dismissed to junior church. That's grades one through six. And if you have ever wondered what your young person, grades one through six, experiences in junior church, you are always welcome to accompany our youth and children's workers as they head in that direction. Believer, God loves you too much to just sit there and let you waste your life. When I first became a believer, I honestly had no idea where I was supposed to start reading in my Bible, but everyone told me, well, now that you trusted Christ as your Savior, you you ought to start reading the Bible. And so you know what I did? Picked it up, and I'm like, and I wound up in the book of Haggai. How many of you before today, or as they say in the South, Haggai, how many of you have ever heard of the book of Haggai prior to today? All right, so a few of you have heard of this guy. This is where I wound up. I had no idea, and I'm like, well, at least I'll start at the beginning of that, and I'll tell you what, I didn't know the context, and I didn't know exactly when it happened, and I didn't know who everybody was in it, but I'll tell you what, God spoke to me. And I remember it was the first time that I really read God's word for myself, and I felt like I got something out of it, and I was excited. And it remains to this day one of my favorite passages because it's both wonderful and uncomfortable. It's both wonderful and uncomfortable. And Haggai chapter 1 will be there in a minute. I'm just going to announce that because it may take you a minute to get there. It's okay if you need to look. At the table of contents, in order to find where that is, that's fine. If you have an old Schofield reference Bible, King James Version, it is 962, which helps about three of you. Page 962. I understand that that's not what everybody has with them. But many people, many believers, go through seasons where nothing seems to work. Nothing is easy. Everything feels like it's stacked against them. Things are breaking down. Things aren't where they're supposed to be. Problems arise, problems with people, problems with your health, uh, problems with work. Just you, you feel like what is going on? Everything is pushing against me. And what is that? Well, it could be many things, but one of the things that it could be is God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to get your attention. In fact, he might be behind why things feel like they're not working out. And you say, well, hold on a second. You mean God could be behind why it feels like nothing works and why nothing is easy and why everything is so difficult? And I would say to you, yes. And you might respond, well, doesn't God love me? He does. And in fact, one of the reasons that you know he loves you is that he is trying to get your attention about something that is going on that is dangerous for you, that you ought not be involved in. He is getting your attention. Why would God make your life harder? Because there's a connection between the difficulties you're experiencing and something in your life that either ought not be there or ought to be there and is missing. You say, I'm I'm tired of these problems and, and I can't keep going with it. That is a very good place to be. Very good place to be. God's people were experiencing great difficulty and God tells them that he was behind all of it. So let's see why God would do such a thing. And Haggai... Chapter one and verse number one, the word of God says this. In the second year of Darius, the the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord. Uh, by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house it is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedech the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Josedek, excuse me, Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Let's pray together. Father, in this hour, we ask once again for your blessing. Open the scriptures to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a time in the history of God's people that is after they were exiled. We'll back up and we'll, we'll remember how God took Abraham and made a great nation out of his family. And eventually, that nation was brought into the promised land that God had for them. And they, they grew and they were blessed. But there came a time when they started to take the foreign gods, little g, of the people around them, and the behavior that those people had, which was against God, and they began to rebel against the Lord, the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God would send prophets to them to call them back into the right of way, and they wouldn't listen. And he'd send more people and to call them back in, and they would beat them and mock them. And then eventually they would imprison or kill these prophets. And they, would so, they were so hard-hearted, God's people refused to listen to the men that God sent to them, that God eventually took his hand of protection off of Israel and allowed Israel's enemies to conquer them. The kingdom was split at this time, and the northern kingdom was taken away first, and they were taken captive. All of the people that could work, or that had skills, they were taken to be slaves in Assyria. And then the southern kingdom, a couple hundred years later, was taken away by the the Babylonians, came and took them. And so now what happened is God's house, the temple, was destroyed when the Babylonians came. The city was burned with fire. It was in a terrible way, and there were only the dregs of society left, and some foreigners might have moved into it, but God's people were in exile. They, they didn't have the, the altar to burn their sacrifices. They didn't have the house of the Lord to go into. They were in a foreign land, and God, showing mercy to his people, once they had learned the lesson, allowed some of the people to come back out of the, out of, uh, the lands that they were taken into Babylon and and when the king of Persia came and allowed some of them to come back and start trying to rebuild things and to start trying to put things together. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Haggai. This was a prophet that God chose in order to speak to them. So when you look at verse one and it says in the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month in the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet. You say, I have no idea what that means. That just means that we are in the time after the exile when about 50,000 of God's people have returned and they're trying to get things going again in Jerusalem. Hasn't been easy, but God had shown them favor. And it says that there was that time someone named Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Aren't you glad you weren't named Zerubbabel? Well, they didn't have last names like we do, so they talk about who their father is. And so he was the one who was in charge He had a great relationship with one of the uh, kings of of, um, Persia, the Medes and the Persians. And so he was allowed to go back and lead the people. And there was a high priest with him named Joshua, son of Josedek. And the word of the Lord came to speak to them. You'll find this phrase, the word of the Lord, over 25 times or right at 25 times in this small little book. Haggai had no doubt that what he was delivering was God's word. He had no doubt that on whose behalf he was speaking, it was the Lord. And in verse two, he says, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So what happened about 16 years ago is from what we're reading is they got back, they got the altar going, they laid the foundation for it, but then they ran into some hardship. They ran into some problems and they quit. They stopped rebuilding. They didn't finish it. They didn't finish it. And what they kept saying is it's not time yet. It's not time to do that. I know we need to build it. I know we need to get back after God's work. I I know that that needs done, but now is not the time. Things are hard. Things are hard. Harvests aren't very good. Food production isn't very good. The economics of the kingdom aren't very good right now where we're living. Things things are bad. Things are bad. And it's really not the time for us to read. That was the party line of God's people in this moment. Verse number three, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet saying, is it time for you? O ye to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie in waste. So he's saying, you tell God, it's not time to work on his house, to rebuild his house, to get his ministry going again so that the sacrifices can go properly. You say, it's not time, but is it time for you and your house? which is sealed or paneled or well-built and well-decorated, you got time for that, but you don't have time for God. You've got time for that, but you don't got time for God. The people of Jerusalem had become spiritually apathetic. You say, what is apathetic? Well, let me give you an an illustration for it. You walk up to a 13 or 14-year-old young man, and you say hello to them. And the noise that they make back at you, mm, that is apathy. They just don't care. I would walk in my house when my kids were younger, and it's daddy's home, and they run and they give you a hug and all of that, and now the kids get a little bit older and you walk inside and and you say, hey, and they're like, bruv, (laughs) what what just happened? It is God's people were not interested in God anymore. They were not interested in God. They weren't against God. They weren't like in terrible sin, but they had gotten distracted with their own lives and their own houses and their own things that they were dealing with. And it went on year after year. And they said, "Well, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. We're, we're working on all of this stuff and we're busy trying to get this done. And the word of the Lord comes and he says, you're saying it's not time to work on God's house, but you've got plenty of time to work on your own. They allowed their previous hardship to make them stop. You know what I love? I love when I see people going through hardship and that's the thing that drives them closer to the Lord. I loved it because whenever you run into trouble, you're either going to get bitter against God and be angry. How could you do this to me? How could you let this happen? Or you could say, I need God more than ever before. What am I going to do? This situation is hard. And so you can either allow God, allow the circumstances to make you reject God or make you draw closer to him. The people had rebuilt their own houses, affairs, and their own enterprises, but they had no time for the Lord. And so the Lord asks them this question. Now, therefore, verse number five, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. It sounds like he's saying, Think about uh, what it is you're doing. But actually, he's, he's, he's asking a little bit more than that. He's saying, how's that going for you? Consider how things have been going. Consider your circumstances. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your lives? You, you, you see that the Lord's house lies in waste and you've got time for yourself, but you don't got time for the Lord. And then he says, well, how's that going for you? Consider your ways. Verse number six. Ye have sown much and bring in little. So they're out in the fields and they're working and just about everybody got a living, made a living off of the land in some way. And so they, they go out and they're putting seeds in the ground. This is what they're going to eat. This is what they're going to sell. This is how they're going to have an economy and they need to get the economy back running. They're just back after the exile and things are rough. And so they're, they're putting stuff into the ground and they're waiting for it to grow and they're waiting for the harvest. And when the harvest comes over these years of having let God's house lie in ruins, it's not very much. They they sow a lot, but they bring in very little. You eat, you eat, but you have not enough. You ever eaten and were hungry again right afterward, right? You probably had that happen with fast food, right? It's not it doesn't have all the nutrients in it that your body wants, and so you're like, I just had a Big Mac, but I could have another one. You say what's that? that's, That's an idea of what's going on here. They eat, but it's not enough. It doesn't satisfy. It says that they drink, but their thirst is not quenched. They clothe themselves, but they're not warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You ever reached into your pocket expecting to find something there? and it's not there. But you know what you do find? A hole. And your fingers go right through the lining in your pocket, and you think, oh man, somewhere walking around today, it fell right out. And now I don't know where it is. If you got money, these silver coins that you would have been used to using, because they would have used coinage, and you put it into a bag, and it had holes, what can you expect to happen? It's going to fall out, isn't it? It's going to be like, I put in five, but now there's only three. I put in 10, but now there's only seven. Now there's only, what's going on? It's never enough. So they're they're trying to restart the the economy. They're trying to take care of their needs. They're working on, on all that's important to them. And they're working hard. They're not lazy. But it's not enough. It's not enough. And God says in verse number seven, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He said, how, how is that going for you? You're, you're saying that there's not enough time and you're working really hard and you're not getting a whole lot back with it. Maybe there's a connection between the Lord's house lying in waste and the fact that you're having so much trouble. In verse eight, he says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He says, now is the call to action. You're having trouble. It may be the result of some of the things that you've done. We'll see that he claims responsibility for it in a minute. He says, now it's time for you to get back about the work of the Lord. It's time to start again. And unfortunately you missed an opportunity. You missed an opportunity. What's this go to the, to the mountain and bring wood all about? Well, Wood had been gathered before and had been paid for by the king of Persia and had been set aside. And if we were to take the time to look back in the book of Ezra, we would have seen it was really good cedar from a a country that was famous for producing some of the best wood that you could have asked for. But you know what happened? It's not there anymore. I don't know if it sat idle when they were getting harassed by the Samaritans that were around them when they were trying to rebuild the first time. I don't know if it was when they got pressure from the Persian government to hold off. I don't know what made them stop, but they stopped. And so either that wood sat there, unused, and rotted away, or, perhaps even worse, there's a reason why their houses are sealed or paneled, and the Lord's house isn't. Because they took what was set aside and what was given for the Lord, and when they ran into hardship, they decided that they were going to go on their own and they were going to take care of themselves and their own things, and they may have used the very thing that the Lord had miraculously provided for them in order to take care of themselves instead of to honor the Lord. We don't know. We're not told. Be terrible if it rotted away, but it would be really bad in showing the condition of their hearts if they took it and they used it for themselves. But he says, go up the mountain and bring the wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. You know what he's saying? Yes, you may have missed an opportunity, but it's not too late. Yes, you're going to have to backtrack a little bit in order to get where you need to be. You're going to have to go up the mountain. You're going to have to cut your own wood now. But you know what? I will take pleasure in it. I will be pleased in it. There is still a way forward. There is still a way, he says, for me to be glorified. And he says, I will be glorified, saith the Lord. That ought to be the heartbeat of all of God's children. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, if there was a moment when you asked God to forgive your sins and be your Savior, believing that Jesus died for you, was buried, and rose from the grave, then then you are a believer. Your sins have been forgiven. When God looks at you, He doesn't see your failures. He sees all of the beautiful righteousness of the Lord Jesus. It's like our account was replaced with His. When He sees us, He sees His Son, He welcomes us into heaven, adopts us into His family, gives us himself and the person of the spirit to live with us we ought to be bursting with gratitude and with joy and we ought to want god to get the glory due unto his name we want people to recognize him for the good god that he is for all that he's done don't you hate it when someone runs down one of your family members don't you hate it when you hear that well some of you don't like your family so you don't have any problem with that but imagine the one person in your family you do like Imagine the person in your family you do like, and they talk rotten about them. Right? When I, when I was uh, working summer jobs, uh, I worked down in the steel mill here in Cleveland. And some of the guys that I worked with, they were characters. I could have written a book. I could have written a book. But you know what they always talked about? Their old lady. That was a constant topic of conversation. Old lady this, old lady. My old lady won't let my old lady spend some money. And And... They were talking about their wives. They were talking about their wives. And I'm thinking to myself, if I called your wife an old lady, you'd probably want to fight me. But because you do it, it's okay. But you wouldn't want anybody else running down your, your quote, old lady. I had everyone down there telling me not to get married except for one guy. One guy said, Billy, don't you listen to them. Don't you listen to them. They're just doing it wrong. His name, his actual name was Wetzel, but nobody ever called him Wetzel. His name was actually Lonnie, and he had no teeth. But I remember one time he was working with my brother, and he said, Teddy, you make me so mad, I'm going to buy teeth just so I can bite you. (laughs) We had some times down there. He's still a good friend today. He's still a good friend today. He has teeth now, I'm just saying. (laughs) You wouldn't want someone running down your family members. How do you feel when someone badmouths your God? How do you feel when they compare him to uh, some statue that they worship? Some multi-armed woman or some elephant god or goddess or some idea of a cruel creator or some God that knows no idea of love and only wants submission and domination. How do you feel when they talk about your God like that? Don't you want them to know how good he is and all that he's done for you? When someone has done for you what our God has done for us, we ought to be preoccupied with people knowing how good he is. And that, he says, you can, still, you can still get back at it. I will be pleased and I will be glorified. Verse 9. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. You say, wait, what? You said, wait, you, God, you blew upon it? Yeah, imagine that you worked really hard and you only brought a little bit home and you didn't have a whole lot. And once you got it home, it's gone. Why would God do that? And in fact, he asks the question rhetorically Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house? He says, Do you know why everything is so hard? Do you know why you're having difficulty? Because your priorities are sadly out of alignment. And you have disobeyed God so that you might look to your own needs. And you see, this is exactly the opposite of what the Lord tells us to do. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us in the New Testament that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of that other stuff that they were so busy after will be added unto them. Instead of seeking after the stuff of life... Do you need to eat, by the way? Yes. Do you need to drink? Yes. Do you need shelter and clothing? Absolutely. Wages? Yes. A job? Yes. All of those things are necessary. But the priorities were sadly, sadly out of alignment. And so instead of saying, God, you're first, you have the preeminence, instead of feeling about God as they should have, they put him on the back burner, and they took care of themselves, or at least they tried to. And you know what God said, not going to let that work. I am not going to let that work. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house it is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Verse 10, therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought, verse number 11, upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. You know what God did? He just decided it wasn't going to work. He just decided it wasn't going to work. Now, the the people that don't know God can scheme, and swindle, and manipulate, and throw people under the bus, and trample over others to climb the ladder. The people that don't know God, who are of this world, might be able to use the tools of this world in order to get what they need. But God says, not my kids'. My kids aren't going to do that. My kids are going to behave differently. You've experienced that as a child. You went to your parents and they said you're not allowed to do something. And you say, but so-and-so is allowed to do it. So-and-so's mom said it was okay. Well, you're not so-and-so and and I'm not so-and-so's mom. Right? God says, my children, that's not how I have designed this to work. They get what they need through their relationship with me. They get what they need through their relationship with me. God provides through prayer. That's how he works with his children. And when we try and go back to the world and do it the world's way, you're going to find out it doesn't work. God took all of nature and turned it against the children of Israel because he was so committed and loved them so much, he was not going to allow them to waste their lives. Because what they were working on and what they were doing would never last. Only the things that are done for Christ, will last. Only the things that make a difference for eternity will matter. Do do any of you get upset when your kids watch too much TV or play too many video games? Any of you get upset at that? Any of you are bothered by that? I'm all bothered by that. Now, I played my share of video games, right? I'm not going to pretend I didn't. I watched my share of television. But it bothers me just to see them sit there and not do anything. Even if it's their time to just not do anything. But because I'm not allowed to sit there and do nothing, neither are they. Go mow the lawn, right? Clean up your room. No, we don't let them sit there and do all that they want to do whenever they want to do it because they wouldn't make the right choices. God is so wise and he sees his people and he sees his people working on these little houses and working on their own little projects with their own little passions. And, and you know what? None of that's going to last. And so he says, you know what? We're going to make that not work. We're going to make that not work. I'd like you to, to just for a moment turn your heads around and look at the back of this room. You see, do you see the doors? We've got two doors leading out into the hallways, right? Imagine that one of those doors is the right way to go out and one of them is the wrong way. Or let's say it like this. One of those doors is the way that God would want us to leave and one of those doors is the way that he doesn't want us to leave from this room. Now, if you went to one of the doors and you weren't sure which one it was, but one of them was stuck and wouldn't open and one of them would open. Which one would you go through? Well, you go through the one that was open. Sometimes God will make sure that the wrong way is stuck. So that you can't go any further down that path. He says, I'm not just going to let you sit there and ruin your life because when you and I step outside of the path of obedience, the path of blessing, we get in trouble. We expose ourselves to all sorts of problems from the enemy and from the chastisement of God. Don't think that God here was just judging them for their sins. It's it's beyond that. He was chastising them. He was correcting them as a, a parent would do with a child to get them back where they needed to be so that they could have the blessing of God. Do you think God wanted his people fed? Is he able to do it? You think God wants people to have clean water and things to drink? Is he able to do it? You think he wants them warm in the winter? You think he wants them protected from the elements? Is he able to do it? Yes, absolutely. He's able to do all of those things. And so he was trying to get them to get the right order down and the priority of their lives. Verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God and the prophets, excuse me, and the words of Haggai, the prophets as the Lord, their God had sent him. You know what they did? They got called out that they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. They were explained that the reason that things are going so hard and going so wrong, your difficulties are directly connected to your disobedience. And then they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go do right. We were supposed to build the house. We left off because we ran into some trouble. We should have returned to it, but we didn't. We got apathetic, but now we're going to get back at it. And you know what I love about this? Haggai had to come and deliver this message, even to Zerubbabel and Joshua. I want you to think for a second. Zerubbabel is the one who as the governor, as the captain who led the people back out of captivity to come. He was the one who should have had the heart for God's city and for God's house the most. And if Joshua was the high priest, where do you think the high priest is supposed to work? This is a tough one, (laughs) right? In the temple. You mean the temple that's not built yet? Yeah, that one. You think if anybody would be passionate about it, but I want you to know you might be in a position of leadership. You might be a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher and you can still become apathetic to the things of God and need a wake-up call. You can still need to have your spirit stirred and encouraged and woken up again. That was was one of the things that convicted me as I read this, is you you never get to the place where you're beyond having your priorities off. At one time, I'm sure Zerubbabel and Joshua had the right priorities, but as the needs of the people and the distractions and their own houses, and i got to have somewhere to take care of all of this, They left off. They left off. But now they've returned and they've put God in his rightful place. Notice at the end of verse 12 it says, And the people did fear before the Lord. Remember, when we talk about godly fear, we're talking about reverence and respect. It's the kind of thing where if you were meeting with someone important, you would behave in a proper way. You wouldn't take a phone call right in the middle of speaking with them. You would listen to them. You'd make eye contact. You would try and hear what they had to say out of respect for them. You would be afraid to dishonor them, afraid to be rude to them, afraid to waste their time. And in the same way, they come before the Lord. And finally, God, who was not really on their radar for 16 years, is now back in his rightful place. And they say, we're going to get after this. And in the next verse, I love it because people oftentimes stop here. But the next verse, we need to read together. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. You know what happens when you've been wrong and God corrects you and he tells you this is the way that you need to go and you start, I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey the voice of the Lord. I'm going to do what I haven't been doing, but should be doing. I'm going to stop doing the thing that I ought not do, but I still was. You get up and you do that. And you know who meets you on the other side of your decision to obey? God himself. God himself meets you there. Verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. You know what he did? He didn't just meet them there, but he encouraged and enabled them to get the job done. This is not a message about doing better. This is not a message about doing better. We've tried that. It doesn't work. You know what this is? This is a message about obeying the voice of the Lord and finding him right on the other side of obedience saying, come on, take my hand. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. Let's get this done. I've called you to do this work. Now you're responding to it. I'm going to be right here with you, and I'll stir up your spirit to enable you to do the things that you need to do or to stop doing the things that you need to stop doing. We serve a God that's so great that he doesn't just give us a bunch of rules and a life that we cannot live and say, do your best at it. He says, come on, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Come, work with me. Work with me. You'll see that... My yoke, <laughs> it's not heavy. My burden is light. We can do this together. And you've, you've lifted something heavy before and a child comes up and says, here, can, let me help you with it. Right? You're carrying a ladder and they come up and they're like, Daddy, let me help you carry the ladder. How much is that child really carrying? Do you actually need them? No. And it's like that with the Lord. It's not really about you and I carrying the ladder. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. And so we come to him and he welcomes and he says, I will be with you. And he stirred up the people's spirit and they came and did work in the house of hosts, the Lord of hosts, their God. What do we take away from this? What are our points of application? Well, if you're in the habit of writing things down, let's write down these three ideas. First of all, connect your difficulties with disobedience. Connect your difficulties with disobedience. God's people were experiencing poverty and difficulty. And God reveals that it was chastisement for their disobedience, correction. Now, I want you to know, not every time we run into hardship is it because we've disobeyed. Sometimes you can do exactly what you're supposed to do and still run into trouble. You say, why is that? There's a number of reasons. But one is, we live in a broken world and broken things happen in a broken world. The other part of it is we have an enemy who does not want us to follow after God, and he will make things hard for us in hopes that we'll quit. There are other people around us who are careless with how their sin affects people, and sometimes it just, like a ripple effect, hits us. But there are times when God is holding the door shut and making it hard for us because we're going the wrong direction. And we need to ask the question, even if it's not every time, we need to ask the question, Like God said, let's consider our ways. Did you notice that he said it twice? That's God's volume control. He's saying, pay attention to this. You really need to look at how things are going. You say, I'm working on my own house and my own economic and my own family and my own and my own and my own and my own. And God says, how's that? How's that working out for you? And if it's not working out for you so good, it may be that the Lord is trying to get your attention because you're headed in the wrong direction. You see, they were consumed and distracted with their own issues, trying to handle it in their own strength. Is there something that God has shown you, told you, put on your heart about what you should be doing, and you're not doing it? Is there something that you're doing that God has spoken to you about? You know what his word says. You know what you're involved in. You know you ought not be involved in it. And God says, don't do it, and you're still doing it. If so and you feel like everything is difficult, and it's like nature itself has been pitched against you and it's not working out, I want you to know it may not be a coincidence. It may very well be God trying to get your attention so that that will change. He's not trying to be mean to you. He's trying to keep you from wasting your life on things that don't matter. Because we only have this one life this sermon series is about the stewardship of life managing what we've been given So that when this life is over and we stand before the lord, it's a very good day It's a day where he says well done thou good and faithful servant It's a day where we enter into an abundance of reward and riches that are laid up for us in heaven And I want you to know it's not too late He said if you get up and you build the house, you may have to backtrack a bit But if you get up and you do what god has asked you to do I'll still be pleased there's still time I'll still be pleased, and I'm going to help you in it. The second thing that we see challenged here is to return God to his rightful place. To return God to his rightful place. God's people heard the correction from the prophet. They'd become apathetic. They just didn't care that much about God anymore. Their priorities were twisted. God became an afterthought, and they said, I've got no time for that. I want you to know, we've said it before in the sermon series, but you and I cannot wait for an easier season to serve God. It's not coming. I remember thinking when I was in college, once I get my own place and I'm out of here, I'll be able to do a better job with reading my Bible and praying. When I don't have all these roommates around, it's going to be so much easier. And then you think to yourself, well, when, when my family's settled and the kids are a little bit older, there'll be more time. You say, well, when the kids are out of the house, when I'm no longer working, there's going to be more time. And you know what? It never gets easier, does it? Some of you, with years, you're shaking your head, and you're like, nope, that's not how that ever works. You and I cannot wait for an easier time to serve the Lord. It's just not coming. We're going to have to make the decision in the midst of the hardship to step out by faith and to put him in his rightful place we need to surrender to God's kingdom and God's will and not our own kingdom. You see, they were building their own kingdoms. They were doing their own will. And Jesus taught us in the model prayer that after we praise God's name, the next thing we need to do is surrender. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Lord, it's not about my kingdom, not about my marching orders. It's about yours. Because these are the things that truly last. And on the the other side of it, that's the way to actually get the things you need. It seems counterintuitive, but a lot about the ways of the Lord are. You think, "I need that. I need to go after that." No. I need to be about my father's business and my father will take care of me." Promises of the word of God on that. We need to take up God's work and God's projects and God's passions after we've set aside our house, whatever distractions have taken us away. We need to do what we know to be right, but we haven't been doing. Maybe it's uh, simply the things of the Christian life, reading your Bible, praying, being faithful to the house of God, giving, serving, being a witness. Maybe it's something specific to your life, and I don't know what that is. But you know what the most amazing thing right now is? Some of you have a specific thing that you think I'm talking about and I'm not. You know what that is? You know why that thing keeps coming up in your mind? It's the Spirit of God. I don't know what it is. Isn't that cool? You're like, not right now, it's not. It stinks. It only stinks if you stay there. If you decide to let the Lord have his way, if you give him his rightful place, you're going to find that he's going to be pleased. You know, when somebody doesn't do what they're supposed to do, a lot of times humans will react poorly even after they get right and do it. And like, well, he didn't do it the first time. I guess it's all right. If you'd done it the first time, it would have been better, right? That's, that's not our father. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're but dust. So whatever that thing is that you need to be doing and you're not doing it, I don't know what it is, but the spirit of God does that thing that you're doing that you need to let go of. I don't know what that is, but the spirit of God knows. And the last part is the good news that we can trust that God will meet us in our obedience. We can trust that God will meet us in our obedience. They repented and they began to do the work. And God immediately showed up and said, I'm with you. And he stirred up their spirits so that they would be encouraged and enabled to do it. Enabled meaning that they had everything that they needed to get the job done. May not be easy. They're going to have to go up the mountain. They're going to have to cut the wood. They missed that. That boat sailed. But they do have an opportunity to still get the work done. Trust that he'll meet you there. You say, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I honestly don't know. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I have no idea how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to start reading my Bible, right? I, just, I honestly don't know how I'm going to read my Bible. I don't know how I'm going to spend time in prayer. I am so busy. I'm, I'm worn threadbare as it is. You say, I just don't know. I want you to know, Christian, as soon as you make the decision that you're going to do it, God will meet you there in it, and you'll find yourself able to do it. As soon as you make that, that surrender in your heart, You say, there's something I need to cut out of my life. It is displeasing to God. Something I'm thinking, something I'm saying, something I'm watching, listening to, something I'm doing. I know that it's wrong, but I just don't know if I can quit. I just don't know if I can stop. I just don't know if I can avoid that. The moment that you make the decision to trust God and to step out by faith, you will see God work. You see, that's really how the Christian life works. It's two sides. We trust God works. We trust God works. You take the first step out and you're like, I hope that there's something to land on. I hope that someone, and God's hand is going to be right there. When we step out in obedience, he meets us. We can't live the life that we're called to live. We can't. That's why we need Jesus. He lived a sinless life. You and I, we've sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. All of us have. God says, don't do these bad things. We do them anyway. God says, do this good stuff. We don't do it. That's, that's sin. That's what sin is. All of us have sinned. That's why we need a savior. And I want you to know, believer, after you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot live the Christian life without Jesus. You can't get saved without him. And you can't live a sanctified life without him. You need him. And just like he showed up when his people got right and made it happen. Same can be true for you, but only if you make the decision to look at your circumstances and consider your ways and say, maybe, maybe all of this is because of that. I don't, I don't know, I don't know, but I think I know that I got in a car accident one time because God was trying to get my attention about something in my life that was displeasing to him. I couldn't tell you, why. I wasn't on my way to do that thing. I didn't do that thing that morning. I wasn't thinking about that thing when it happened. But right after, I slammed into the back of that car on that rainy day, and I pulled into the parking lot where all three of us that were involved in it ended up being, I want you to know, it's like the Spirit of God said, the way of the transgressor is hard. I'm like, where did that thought come from? God was trying. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that's what that was. We have to connect our difficulties with our disobedience if it's there. We need to return God to his rightful place and then we need to trust that as we step out, putting our priorities right, that he's going to meet us there and it's all going to be far better, far better than what you and I could have ever accomplished had we made our own problems our number one priority. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? In our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God is speaking to you about, and I don't know what he's speaking to you about. The wonderful thing is that we prayed that God would be with us this morning, and he's made the promise that he would be here. And so I believe that he's speaking to a number of people. And I don't know what that is that you're dealing with. But maybe you're going through hardships right now. And you're starting to think and put it all together from what I've said, from what the Spirit of God has shown you. And and you're starting to consider your ways. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, how many of you would be willing to say, I think, just between you and me and God, I think that the Lord is trying to get my attention? Would you be willing to just slip your hand up, put it right back? To, I think that the Lord is trying to get my attention. Amen. I'm not sure, but I think the Lord's just, it's just not working out. There may be something that's not there. that needs to be. Or something that's there that ought not be. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you've become apathetic about God. You came to church this morning because you were made to come to church. Or if you didn't come, you'd the preacher would call and wonder where you were. Or your spouse would be worried about you not coming. Maybe you're only here this morning because someone promised to buy you lunch afterward. And you couldn't care less. You couldn't care less about the things of God. But you say, oh, I need, I need that stirring. I need to return God to his rightful place. I need to return God to his rightful place. I've allowed other things to creep in, distractions... Personal things have become too big. Career, family, hobbies, money. And I need to put God back in this. Just between you and me and the Lord with no one looking around. Just lift your hand up and say, I am correcting my priorities today. Anybody like that? I'm correcting my priorities today. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm correcting my priorities today. Me too. My hand's raised with you, friend. Me too. Maybe... You know what you need to do, but you're just worried you can't do it. Maybe you've tried before and it hasn't worked. Well, I want to encourage you, don't, don't try for the thing. Come to the Father. And let Him provide for all of those things. Put His kingdom first. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I'll be down here at the head of this aisle. Just slip out of your seat and come and let me know and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and they'll show you, they'll show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that heaven's your home. Maybe you've never followed the Lord in believers' baptism since you've been saved. Maybe you want to put your life and influence in this church as a member and you want to join the church. Maybe you just want to come to a place of prayer and say, Lord, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Whatever it is, would you say yes to him? Father, we give this time to you, asking you to work in hearts. I thank you so much for getting my attention once again. I pray that all of us would have a a blank check that we just hand to you. And we say, yes, Lord, whatever it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we pray.